That's right. So that's our carol for today, Away in a Manger. Our kids did such a great job. And a huge shout out to Pastor Todd and all of our kids' workers for all the uh, awesome job that they do with our kids. And so uh, if you're watching online today, we're glad that you're with us. How many people you're at least familiar with Away in a Manger? You know the song. Okay, just about everybody. Uh, How many people, you would count this among your favorite Christmas carols? I don't know if it's up there or not for you. A few hands. Okay, a few people. Yeah, definitely up there for ones that you love. You know, we've been exploring uh, some of the history and theology of the different Christmas carols that we sing. And this one has an interesting history. They're all very different. And so this one was first widely published in 1887 in a little songbook called Dainty Songs for Little Lads and Lasses. <laughs> That's exactly where you would expect to first find a way to manger, right? And so it was published, and for a long time it was believed that Martin Luther was the original author. Martin Luther is the father of the Reformation, of today what we call Protestantism. Uh, we're Protestants, and uh, so that was credited to him for a long time. But after some research, that was really debunked. Uh, there's no way it was him. It came up years later, never in any of his writings. But it did turn out that the first place, the earliest publication we have is in 1885 by German Lutherans in Pennsylvania. So possibly it was credited to him to help make it more widespread. Uh, But for a long time, that's what it was believed. And so we we really don't know who wrote the lyrics, uh, you know, in that sense. But obviously it's had an enormous impact, right? So many of us have heard the song before. So many generations of children have come to know who the Lord Jesus is because of this song. Now, for me personally, I've, uh, I've never like, loved this Christmas carol, though, I gotta say. I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but like, I've never been a huge fan of it. We're talking about the theology for one sense, like, oh, uh, no crying he makes. Like, come on, like, he's baby Jesus, he's a human in every single way possible. Like, I think he probably cried. But really, no, the reason I've never been, uh, like, a huge fan is not so much, I don't have a problem with the song, it's because of this, and if you're taking notes, this is, like, the first thing to write down. The meaning of the manger has been hijacked. That's why when I hear away in a manger, I kind of think about how people's relationship to Jesus is different than really, I think, what he wants it to be. Um, it reminds me, I think it's a view of Jesus that many people embrace, but it's not really accurate to who he is. Here's what I mean by that. The manger, a lot of times we think of the manger as cute, childish, and even a little ambiguous. But the truth is it's not cute. I mean, just think of the Christmas story, right? I mean, the nativity is beautiful. And I, I told Pastor Jeff this week, I actually love this nativity set that we have. I, I think it's great. Uh, but really, the Christmas story is far from cute. It's about a teenage pregnancy out of wedlock. During her third trimester, Mary, the mother of Jesus, rides on the back of a donkey for like up to a week traveling, right? It's, it's not pretty. It's not comfortable, Joseph probably took her on this journey because he was afraid of what would happen to her. And thankfully, it's not like this anymore. But at that time, because she was pregnant, what was perceived out of wedlock, that she could have died. She could have been stoned by people. So he may have taken her to protect her. That's ugly. That's kind of scary. And even think about, you know, a manger, (laughs) You know, just because of our, uh, the way we display it, just the word itself is cute at this point, manger. It just sounds adorable. But what is a manger? Uh, some of you guys in the room, you know what it is. What's a manger? 
It's a feeding trough, right? It's a feeding stall for animals. It's where you put the food and they eat it. So it's disgusting. It's not only disgusting, it's uh, totally unsanitary. I mean, you want to give birth to a baby there and then lay it there? Come on, ladies in the room who have given birth, you want, you want it pristine in a hospital room. You want nurses waiting on you hand and foot. It's going to be okay. I'm hungry. Get this for me, right? Not in... <laughs> Not in these conditions. And even think about how we talk about a stable. We typically we uh, portray it like a stable because of that word manger. It's in Scripture. But more likely than not, it actually was probably a cave cut out of um, the side of a rock, kind of like a miniature cave where the animals were staying. So even this picture of a stable, it's, you know, more likely it was cold and dark and just not really cute. And childish, right? We think of babies. Babies are adorable. And like baby Jesus is adorable. And, and oh, it's just so cute. Away in a manger, right? But for many people, that's how they approach their faith. That it's something cute for when you're a child. And their concept of God stays baby-like. And so when you grow up and you have adult-level problems... Your childish faith is not enough to sustain you through those problems. And ambiguous. Well, there's a movie, uh, it's a little older now, I guess. There's a movie where this family sits down to pray. If you know, you know. They, uh, the, the dad goes to pray to baby Jesus. And so someone else in the family says, he grew up, he was a man, he had a beard. Like, well, you, why are you praying to baby Jesus? And he's like, well, my version of Jesus, that's my favorite Jesus, is the baby Jesus. When you pray, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want. So then they start talking about what version of Jesus they like to pray to the best. And for some people, that's faith. Right? There's a higher power out there, and uh, call it um, God, call it baby Jesus, call it Allah, call it the Buddha, Mother Nature, good vibes, right? You just have to find what's true, what works for you, and, and be a good person, right? Baby Jesus, amen, I'm all for it. And so the meaning of the manger has been hijacked. But here's the truth for today, the number one truth that we talk about today, that at the manger, Jesus is Lord. At the manger, Jesus is Lord. From the moment of his birth, the manger wasn't just cute or childish, Jesus is Lord. That's the line in Away in a Manger that keeps coming up over and over again. The little Lord Jesus. The little Lord Jesus. And so hopefully from even what we talk about today, the next time you hear this song or you sing it or you hear it in the mall somewhere, that you think of this. The little Lord Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Let's read this passage from Luke chapter 2 together. This is uh, one of the most famous passages of the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, where it talks about the manger and this whole scene. Luke 2, starting in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped it snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We see from the beginning of the Christmas story, the angel's announcement to the shepherd that Jesus is Lord. Christ is Lord, the Messiah. You'll know it's him because he's lying in a manger. That's not normal. You don't normally find a baby there. So if you find that one, he is Lord from the beginning of the story. It's not just cute or childish. He's the Lord. And Luke is the person who wrote this. When we say Luke chapter 2, it's because it's Luke who wrote this gospel. And he, uh, he was a doctor. He traveled around. Some people believe that he possibly interviewed Mary, actually, for some of these details. Uh, he could have done so. But this was originally written in Greek. That was the language of the day. The entire New Testament, all the authors, the guys who wrote the letters, who wrote the gospels, they wrote in Greek. And so we translate that into English. That's what we read. So the word that we usually use for Lord, it's a Greek word, kurios, and it means ruler, master, supreme in authority, controller, Lord. So from the moment of Jesus' birth, he was ruler. Jesus is master. Jesus is the supreme authority. Jesus is the controller. Jesus is Lord. Now, I think for many of us, the reason that we prefer the meaning of the manger to be cute and childish and ambiguous, baby Jesus, is because we can get out of submission to the lordship of Christ. Uh, well, when we see cute baby Jesus, I don't have to surrender to that, right? You're talking about controller? Okay, I'll give Jesus, um, you know, he can be master, he can be savior, he can save me from my sins, but controller, I don't know about that, I don't think so. Right? How many people are like me that if you're going on a road trip, you're going anywhere, you like to be the one to drive? Let me see where you're at. You are the driver. That's because you're a controller, right? Just like me. If you're, how many of you, you're a happy passenger? That's fine. Somebody else could do it. I don't care. Yeah, that's what I tell Rebecca. She's a happy passenger. She just sits there, and I drive. But the truth is because, I, I, I've said it before, like, well, what if I... What if I got to go to the bathroom? Like, I want to be the one. I don't want to be in the back trying to convince you how important this is right now. Like, I'm just going to say, hey, guys, we're stopping, right? Or if uh, I'm like, everybody wants to get coffee, well, then good. I'm going to go to the place I want to go for coffee, right? I like to be in control. And so Jesus being Lord, we may feel like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't want to give control of certain parts of my life. I want to control my destiny, I want to control my decisions. I want to control my career path. I want to control my relationships, my life's trajectory. I want to say what I want to say whenever I want to say it to whoever I want to say it to. Oh, Jesus, master, controller, what would he think? What does he want me to do? 
uh, you can just save me from my sins, God. I'll just go to heaven one day. You can just function as my insurance for when I die. Viewing the manger simply as cute and childish is a way for us to get out of submission to the lordship of Jesus. But the truth is, Jesus is Lord whether we live that way or not. A lot of times we talk about making Jesus Lord, and that makes sense. Like, I I get it. You know, like, have you made Jesus Lord of your life? Have you made Jesus Lord in this area of your life? But the truth is that Jesus is Lord whether you live that way or not. Scripture says that right now Jesus is seated in the heavenly places, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. Scripture says that In him, all things that have been made have been made, and everything has its dependence in him. Anything that exists, exists in him and because of him. If you're alive, if you exist at all, it's because of Jesus. You owe your existence to Jesus. And if you're still alive, if you still exist, it's because you are entirely dependent on Christ the Lord. Whether you realize it, whether you live that way or not, that's the truth. Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord at the manger, what else does that mean? It means that the manger is about mission. The manger being cute or childish, the manger is about mission. Look, when Mary and Joseph received the announcement from the angel Gabriel that they're going to be the parents of the Christ child, right? This is in Matthew chapter 1. How does it go? It says, uh, she will have a son. And you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right? And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The manger is about mission. It's about the mission of God. It's about the mission of God restoring us, saving us from our sins. The manger is the first step towards the cross. If you don't know this, the baby Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He lived a sinless life, a perfect life that I could never live. And he took our punishment for our sins on the cross. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. But the story doesn't end there. He rose again. He defeated death showing that he is Lord over everything, that he has the power and the authority over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. There is nothing that has more power than Jesus. He is the Lord of everything. And that's what the manger is about. He did it so that we can be set free from our sin, so that we can be set free from ourselves from the limitations that we have, from from our selfish and sinful desires. He did it so that we can be restored in our relationship with God. He did it so that we can be restored in our relationships with one another. The manger is about mission. And I have news for you too. If you're part of the church, if you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, if you're part of the church, you're part of the search You're part of this mission now. You get to be part of what God is doing in the world. So the manger is about mission. But what else? When we think of the manger, Jesus is Lord, but the manger is also this. The manger is about humility. At the manger, we see the humility of God on full display. 
Not only does God uh, humble himself and come down as being born as a baby, but he's born in, where is he born? Bethlehem, this backwater town of Bethlehem. He's born to teenage parents out of wedlock in a manger with like animal saliva. I mean, it's as low, it's as humble as you can get. And this humility of God shows the incredible love that God has for us. Look at this passage in Philippians 2. In verse 6, it says, this is a, this is a hymn that the early church, they believe, would have uh, uh, said to each other. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, we can't even begin to comprehend the level of humility that God has that he took on as creator and sustainer of the universe to become a man, to become a baby. You know, it's the tendency of humans towards pride. We have a tendency to go towards pride. But God, the mark of God is humility. And this is amazing news for everybody in the room. For those of us in the room or watching online today, maybe you're checking our church out today online and you don't know what you think about God. You're trying to figure that out. You know, everything going on. That's what you're trying to see. Where do I land? with that? What's real? What's true? The truth is this is amazing news for you because God came to you. You're not too far away from God. If you, you hear the words like, oh, God loves you and you think yeah, that's nice, but he doesn't know what, what I've done or, or I'm ashamed of who I am or, or I just wish I could get it together. This is wonderful because God came to you. God humbled himself. You're not too far from God. You're one prayer away from a relationship with God today. Don't miss out on that today. As we, uh, as we close at the end, I'll give you that opportunity. If you've never prayed that prayer, I want you to pray that prayer and invite God into your life today. In Luke chapter 2, we just read he appears to the shepherds, right? The shepherds are low on the social ladder. They're lowly. They're dirty. Their job means that they're dirty and they're grimy. They'd be forgotten about by others. They're the last people that somebody would tell about a proclamation like this. But God appears to them first. If you feel like you're lowly, if you feel like you're dirty, if you feel like you're forgotten about, God cares for you. God is close to you. What amazing news. The manger's about humility. The manger is about humility. And so for us as Christians, this is great news too. It's important for us because we're called to imitate God. This hymn that we just read in Philippians 2, look at the verse before it. A lot of you guys have probably heard this before. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This isn't optional for us. 
says that he was like God. Uh, he was God, but he, he laid down his privileges. He humbled himself, obedient to the point of death on a cross. You are to have the same attitude, that attitude of humility. We are to lay down our pride and be marked by humility in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Anyone here ever been to a Blue Claws game? Blue Claws in Lakewood, New Jersey, you've been there before? Yeah, it's a lot of fun if you've ever been there. It's a really cool stadium. It's small, but it's really, it's kind of cozy. It, it, it's, it's a fun time to go with family. And I, I went a couple times as a kid. And one time, uh, Rebecca and I got free tickets to go a couple years ago. So I went and I was really excited. For those of you who don't know, I like baseball and I love the Yankees. So, uh, of course, what did I do? I got my... Uh, all my Yankees attire, okay, so I brought my, my Yankees jersey, I put it on, I had my Yankees hat on, I, I think I brought a baseball glove, I was like, yeah, we're going to the baseball game, you know, so I put my, uh, put my jersey on, we show up there, and Rebecca's like, you know, it's a Blue Claws game, I'm like, yeah, but it's, ba- it's baseball, you know, so I'm, I'm all decked out, my Yankees gear, the guy who gave us the free tickets, we met him there, he kind of looks at me like, Okay, you know, you're, you're a really big Yankee fan, Matt. Like, yeah, and so I was there, and I'm cheering on. And I'm like, it's baseball. You know, it's, it's, it's all, whatever. But think about this. How silly would it be if, um, let's say the Yankees were playing the Blue Claws, which they're in different divisions. That, that's, that they don't do that. Um, but let's say they did. And I went looking like this. And I said, let's go, Blue Claws. Let's go. Yeah, I'm a Blue Claws fan. And I got a Yankee hat, and I got an Aaron Judge shirt, and I've got a foam finger. And I'm like, let's go, Blue Claws. How ridiculous would I look, right? The mark of God is humility. And the mark of Jesus is humility. The mark of his followers is humility. The jersey for Team Jesus is humility. And when we as Christians are not known for our humility, this is what we look like. Yeah, that's right. I'm on Team Jesus. I'm on Team Jesus. But my jersey says, I'm on Team. I live however I want. I'm on Team. It's all about me. I'm on Team. It's all about my rights, my inconvenience. Yeah, it's Team Jesus. It's team, I'm Team Jesus. But the world sees, no, you're on Team. You live for yourself. You're on Team Republican. You're on Team Democrat. You're on Team Conservative. You're on Team Liberal. I'm on Team Jesus. I'm looking at your jersey, dude. You're wearing a Yankees jersey at a Blue Claws game. Jesus says the mark of humility is what it is for Team Jesus. You know what it is when we do that? It's childish. It's childish when we say, yeah, I'm on Team Jesus, but we're not known for our humility. We're saying the manger sometimes is perceived as childish. You know what Jesus says? He calls us to a childlike faith. That's what we call it, a childlike faith, not childish or childish thinking. This is the actual passage where Jesus talks about this, Matthew 18. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins... And become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility 
is the mark of a follower of Jesus. The manger is about humility. Just like a child would learn to depend on their parent. I I need you to provide for me. You're the one that brings the money. You're the one that provides the food and puts it on the table. Like a child depends on their parent, raises their hand, says, lift me up. I need you, your help. That's our relationship to God, one of humility. If I wear the jersey for Team Jesus, well, I just do whatever the boss says, right? That's what it means to be on Team Jesus. The manger is about humility. And here's the next one. The manger is about life service, not about lip service. Like we said, Jesus is Lord, whether we live that way or not. Surrendering to his lordship is not just something that we do half-heartedly. This uh, month, actually, it's eight years ago that I proposed to Rebecca And I told the story actually at youth group on Wednesday, and I told about how it was almost a Christmas catastrophe, if there were any students that were there. It wasn't, though. worked out great. But anyway, I proposed eight uh, years ago, and look, I got down on one knee, and I asked her to marry me. She said yes, you know. So that decision, it didn't cost us anything. It was totally free. Rebecca saying, me asking Rebecca, she's saying yes. It was free. For us to make that decision, it costs nothing. But that commitment, it demands everything. And what if I got on one knee, I said, will you marry me? Yes. And then I was up here telling you about how, well, we only, uh, I, I sleep at home with her on Sundays. But the rest of the week, you know, I, I got to do what I want to do. And she knows that. Right? She understands. You'd say, what? Oh, well, we're, we're, we got married. We, we sleep together for the first five years. Now I kind of do whatever. You know, it's, it's, it, uh, she changed my life. <laughs> You'd be like, what? Like, bad. You know, of course we understand. That's crazy, right? Well, how could you do that? The, the decision was totally free. But the commitment, it demands everything. And it's like that in our faith. Salvation, for Jesus to be Savior of our lives, it's absolutely free. It costs us nothing. There's nothing we can do. Jesus is the Savior. But for Him to now be Lord of our lives, it demands everything. And so much of the time we live this partially surrendered life. Look, I do it too. I know it's a little hard, coming, coming at you a little hard, but I do the same thing. God, I'll give you everything except for all the stuff I won't give you. (laughs) God, I'll give you my Sundays. But Fridays and Saturday nights, you know, that's for me, God. I got to let loose, self-care, you know what I'm saying? I got to relax, right? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you keep calling me Lord, but you don't actually do what I say? God, I'll trust you with my salvation. Yeah, sure, I'll go to heaven, no problem free? Yeah, that's for me. We got my kids. No, they're not listening to me. They're not doing what I want. They need to be playing a sport. They need to be maintaining this GPA. This is the career field I want them in. And you're trying to control that. Jesus, I'll trust you with everything. What does the Bible say about tithing? There's no way I would do that. What? 10%? How much money is that? God, you're the best, but not there. I'll give you everything, but not that. You're my provider, but no. Jesus, you're my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. What does the Bible say about forgiving others? I'm not doing that. This person hurt me. I'm not forgiving others. God, I'll give you 
this part of my life, but not this part of my life. I'm a Christian. I go to youth group. Yeah, I'll raise my hand. I'll answer the right question in small group. But what, how I'm messing around with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever. God understands. It's baby Jesus, isn't it, right? (laughs) Sometimes we like to think of it like that so we can get out of that surrender to the lordship of Jesus. But look at the warning that Jesus gives about this partially surrendered life. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. There's a big difference between calling Jesus our Lord and surrendering to his lordship. (laughs) And if this hits a little heavy, well, I think it's supposed to. But I think there's good news in there too. I think if you've ever looked at somebody and said, man, I wish I had a faith like that. Oh my gosh, they they can do miracles. They've they've been part of a healing. Wow, I I just, I don't know if I'd ever get there. You know what? Jesus says, not impressed. That's not what it is. It's not who calls me Lord. It's who does the will of my Father. The manger's about life service, not about lip service. And I think the reason that we can be afraid of surrendering to the Lordship of Christ is because we're afraid of what we might lose. And Kira, you actually said that while you're up here is, you know, well, what what would happen if I did this? I mean, if I'm driving, what if I got to stop somewhere? What if I want to stop somewhere? What if, if I tithe, I mean, I'm going to have less money. What if that happens? If I forgive this person well, what if they hurt me again? We're afraid of what we might lose, and that's why we can be afraid to surrender to Christ. But here's the truth. When I submit, when I surrender to the Lordship of Christ, I experience joy, peace, and purpose. When I surrender to the Lordship of Christ, I experience joy, peace, and purpose. Look at what Jesus says about what his purpose is. He says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Pastor Ronnie, you can come and get some music ready for us. We're so afraid of what we would lose if we gave this over to God. But Jesus wants to set us free. It was a couple years ago, I had a, uh, a friend, I, I was hurt by somebody, and, um, you know, so I was frustrated about it. And, uh, you know, that frustration over time, I didn't want to think about it, I didn't want to deal with it. And uh, eventually got to the point where, like, I didn't even want to think about the situation, let alone, you know, talk about it. Maybe Rebecca would say their name or something. I was just like, no, well, we don't need to talk about this. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about when there's a situation that grows from frustration to anger and then it rots into some bitterness 
and resentment. And it has control over you. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to go there. You don't want to think about that pain. But now it's grown into something that actually has control over your life. And eventually, I had to come to the place where I said, all right, God, I submit this to you. And in doing that, I want to explain what that means. I had to admit that, first of all, this was going on in my heart. So I had to look at it. I had to admit that this was my doing. My friend didn't know that I was this upset about it, that I had let it stew over time into some bitterness. That was me. I had to admit that to God. And then I had to admit, God, I need your help to take this out of my life. And once I was able to surrender that to the Lordship of Christ, I was set free from that. It didn't have a bondage over me anymore. I was able to call my friend, talk, everything's totally normal. I'm able to experience our true friendship that we always had, that I had let bitterness get between us. When you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus, you'll experience joy, peace, and purpose. We're so afraid of what we'll lose, but no, Jesus wants to give you a rich and satisfying life. And so I want to invite everyone in the room, if you can stand to your feet as we close this time out together. Here's my closing question for you today. What do you need to submit to Christ today? Jesus is Lord at the manger. So what do you need to submit? For some of us in the room or even online today, it may actually be your life. It's not just like an area or something. It's like, I've got to surrender to God. But for a lot of us, it might just be a certain area today. What is that thing that you need to submit to Christ? Is it, is it bitterness? Unforgiveness? Is it an attitude that you have? The manger, it's not just cute or childish. It's about Jesus being Lord. Lord means ruler, master, supreme in authority, controller, Lord. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, just to give you the moment to respond today. I want you to think about what that area is. Think about the words, the heavy words that Jesus used. You know, there are going to be people who call him Lord that aren't going to enter heaven. And so it's important that we say, God, I surrender this part of my life or I surrender my life to you. What might be that area today? This is not a guilt thing. It's, a he- it's, it's heavy, it's serious, but it's not a guilt thing. Jesus wants to give you joy and peace and purpose, this stuff we talk about at Christmas time. He wants to do this in your life. Name what that area might be today. If you're watching online, comment. Let us know, this is what God's doing in my life right now. If you're in the room, whisper it out loud to God. It doesn't matter who's next to you. This is a safe place right now. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. God, this is the area I've needed to surrender to you, Lord. Take control of this area, Lord God. Do a work in me, Lord Jesus. God, I'm so thankful that you're my Savior, that it cost me nothing 
to be set free from my sins and to be in heaven with you. Well, Lord, I realize that you're the Lord. I've got to submit this area to you today. This Christmas season, don't miss out on that. We say Jesus is Lord, the little Lord Jesus, away in a manger. That's what it means today. That's a mature view of the manger. And I want to give this opportunity for someone who might be in the room today or watching online. If you need to surrender your life today to Jesus, if you've never made that decision, I want to give you that chance today. It takes humility to admit, well, that I am a sinner. It takes a humility to admit, I I need to be saved from my sins. It takes humility to admit, God, you're the only one that can do it in my life. But if you're here today or you're online and you know that's you, don't miss it this Christmas season. Can you raise your hand so I know that that's you? I can lead you in a prayer today. If you're watching online, we've got people commenting right now. Let us know if that's you. You want to pray that prayer today. I want to see if you're in the room. I want to give you that opportunity. Jesus loves you. He is close to you. And he wants to set you free from your sin. Awesome. Here's what I want to do as we wrap up today. I've loved that every week we've uh, ended with a worship song, right? When we worship, we're acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. And so continue to allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in you. But I'm going to ask Pastor Bonnie to lead us in a song together that we can sing. I hope you mean these lyrics in your heart or, again, allow God to continue to work and pray. And then we'll wrap up in prayer this morning. All to Jesus I
Jesus, we thank you for Christmas time where we celebrate your coming to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And God, we remember today that the manger is about mission, how you've saved us from our sins. It's totally free, the gift of salvation. And God, we acknowledge today that you are Lord. Whether we've been living that way or not, maybe we've got an area we've got to give to you today. God, we're thankful that your spirit speaks to us, Lord. But we know that you are the ruler, that you are the supreme in authority, that all things have been created through you, that you hold everything together, Lord God. And this Christmas season, we acknowledge you as not only Savior, but as the Lord of our lives. Help us, God, in those moments when we're afraid to surrender something to you. Remind us, give us the presence of your Holy Spirit that speaks softly to us to remind us that you love us, that you have good things planned for us, that you're with us, Lord God. It's the, it's the enemy's uh, uh, will, God, to steal and to kill and destroy, but Lord, you have come to give us a rich and a satisfying life, Lord. We surrender to you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift of your presence that is with us, God. We ask that you be with us the rest of today, God, and the rest of this Christmas season. We love you, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody, thank you so much. Have an awesome rest of your day.